John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 19, a continuation of last week. Jesus has this encounter with this woman at a well outside of Samaria, in Samaria. And he says this in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship her. And Jesus said to her, this is pivotal now. We might not recognize this yet, but this is a very important line that Jesus says. Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Let me hear our church say, is now here. All right, just, just real quick, for some of you newcomers, we're going to have to do a lot better than that. Uh, let me hear our church say, is now here. Another way to say it is, the time is now. There is no more waiting. The time is upon us when the true worshipers will worship the Father, read this with me now, in spirit and, and truth. Why? Well, because the Father is seeking these people. Seeking people to worship Him this way. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's going to be a good day. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your church. Thank You for Your body. Not just gathered in this room and in this space, but gathered across this, this town, across the city, across this nation, and across this world. And Lord, beyond all the chaos, beyond all the, the questions, beyond the, uh, the division, Lord, I'm so thankful that you stand unmoved, unchanged, consistent throughout time. And Lord, as we read your word, we claim that it is authoritative for our lives. And God, we don't align scripture into our life, but rather we align our lives on the basis of scripture. May we do that today. We love you in Jesus' name. And we all said, and we all said, well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Doing well. It is good to see you. You all look good. Some of you all even smell good today. I appreciate that. I appreciate a good Sunday shower. Anybody else in here? I appreciate that. Um, also, Pastor David mentioned this, but we do want to welcome our, our online church family. Can we just welcome them one more time this morning? For some of us, yeah. It can get, it can get a, a, a little lonely when you're, when you're watching church on your couch with your cat um, or your dog uh, or your husband, whatever. But, but we want to make sure that, that you know that we love you, we miss you, we're praying for you. You're just as much a part of our church as us sitting here today. Amen. Would you agree with that? Yes? All right. Let's jump into this. We've got a lot to cover. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is going to start off a little light. And then about halfway through, uh, I'll give you a heads up. It's going to get a little challenging. Okay. So I'm going to need your, your, uh, I'm going to need your, your go-ahead to make sure that we can kind of jump in. And I'm, I'm, I'm really mainly going to be taking shots at, at Christians, okay? Just so you know that. Mainly going to try to be taking some shots at Christians today halfway through. And I'll blame it on Scripture, but it, it's a little bit of both. All right. Uh, here we go. John chapter 4, um, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, this is a continuation of the conversation that we opened up last week where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. This is a big deal that Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Number one, he's a Jew. Jews don't like Samaritans. Samaritans hate Jews from Jerusalem. 
Number two, Jesus is a rabbi. He shouldn't really be interacting with these women. It's, it's a woman that's culturally different. And just on the basis of not just his uh, rabbinical nature, but also the fact that he's a man. Men and women really did not uh, interact in this way. So Jesus is breaking all kind of barriers. And a lot of times as we read through this passage, that's the main takeaway that we have. We need to reach out to those who, you know, we need to break down barriers. We need to, to love the unlovable. And that's all well and good, but understand that is not the main purpose of the text. The main purpose of the text, as we discovered last week, was sin. <laughs> sin. And, and predominantly the fact that Jesus is God, and because Jesus is God, Jesus knows our, our sin. Jesus knows it. It's not hidden from him. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, whether you turn off the lights or keep them on or hide under the blankets, your sin is known before a holy God. And Jesus isn't satisfied in just knowing your sin, but Jesus is going to seek to what? Reveal your sin. Not on the basis of judgment. Jesus doesn't reveal the sin in your life on the basis of judgment. He reveals the sin in your life because he is trying to reveal something deeper. Jesus wants you to know that the sin you're partaking in is not going to fulfill you in the way that he's going to fulfill you. So your sin is a substitution for the fulfillment that you are ultimately seeking in Christ. You might not know that. In the conversation with this woman, the woman's like, I'd like some water, you know. Or Jesus is like, give me some water. And Jesus says, if you had known who you were asking to give a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water where you would never have thirsted again. I am the one. And so we get caught up in what we classified last week as the thirst trap, okay. We get caught up in the thirst trap where we're thirsty for something. Uh, C.S. Lewis would say that we have a, a void in our soul, a void in our heart. There's a vacuum that we try to fill everything. Uh, we fill it up with everything, but nothing's satisfied. Anybody been there before? God knows I have been. Uh, apparently I'm with a bunch of holy people because none of you all are ever satisfied. Uh, never, never been through this before, but I, I have spent a good portion of my life trying to fill a void in my heart with stuff. And it's frustrating. I get caught in the thirst trap. Well, that'll satisfy me. Well, that car will do it. Well, doing this will do it. Well, that money will do it. And then it brings me back to a place of brokenness. Where no matter how much money I have, and believe me, I'm, I'm really wealthy. Um, that was a joke. Um, no matter how much money I have, no matter how many relationships I have, vehicles, home, whatever, there's still a longing for something deeper. And that is Christ. That's Christ. And so this conversation that we're going to read through today is just a continuation. This woman says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, this is interesting. This woman shifts the conversation rather quickly. And it's funny where she shifts it. Because Jesus says, go call your husband. The woman says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus lays it down. He's like, I, I know you don't have a husband. You've got five of them. And the one that you're living with now, he's not your husband. And the woman's just really quickly just shifts the conversation. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, and she goes into this. Shocking, right? And, and here's a very interesting. We learn something about Jesus in this moment. Notice that Jesus doesn't back up the train and harp on this woman's sin. You ever notice that before? Because I'm just going to really be honest with you. We're bad at this. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this or not. I don't know if you've been on Facebook recently or not. We're, we're not great at this as a Christian community. Jesus, it's not that he's not concerned with your sin. He is. We just spent the entire last week walking through this portion of Scripture where we understand that the purpose of the text is sin 
revealing sin, exposing it, and working through it. So it's not that sin's not important. It's just that Jesus is after something much greater. So the problem is adultery, which this woman was walking through. She's got five husbands. The one that she's living with now is not her husband. And she's talking with God. She's talk- Here's a woman caught up in adultery talking to God. But forget that. And God doesn't spend time, Jesus doesn't spend time talking about the woman's fruit. You know what I'm talking about, right? She's not carrying bananas or apples, but the fruit, the sin. Jesus wants to get at the root of the issue. I wonder for us as followers of Christ, how often do we spend time spraying fruit when really we need to attack the roots? The fruit issues are issues. Don't get me wrong. But if you solve the fruit or you fix the fruit, but you never align the roots, you truly have not taken care of anything. And so Jesus doesn't waste time on the fruit. He goes right to the root. He goes right straight to the root. Notice this. I perceive that you're a prophet. And so Jesus just rolls with this. And she asks this question. It's pivotal. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem it's the place where people ought to worship. In other words, which way is right? Now, a little bit of a historical context here. This woman is a Samaritan, and there was a split back in the day. You heard her mention Jacob. So this, 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 uh, this rift goes back very far. Who is the correct Jew? Is it the proper Jews who worship in Jerusalem, or is it the Samaritans, kind of the, the mutt, if you will, of the Jewish world? And there's this division between the two. And the, and the Samaritans don't venture into Jerusalem. In fact, they're not welcome there. So they don't venture into Jerusalem to worship. They go to a mountain and worship. And so this woman is saying, listen, what is the proper place? Where do I need to go? In fact, it's a deeper question she's asking. She's saying this, will I be accepted or will the worship that I have offered be acceptable to God? Because I haven't done it there, I've done it here. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus, this is so good. Jesus says in John 4, 23, listen, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus goes past the fruit and goes right to the root and he talks about worship. This is so important. And notice there's a couple of takeaways for us. Now, I would encourage you to take some notes. We not only want you to know God, we want you to grow in community We want you to discover your purpose. We also really want you to make a difference. And the way to do those things, I believe, is to take some notes and open them up inside of your small group and discuss them. And here's the first one. When it comes to worship, we have to get this, church. It's it's about how and whom, not when and where. It's about, or you could say more about how and whom, not when and where. Jesus drops a brand new concept on this woman. And it's a concept that we need to take into consideration as well. It's not about as much about when and where you worship. It's more about how and whom you worship. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are limitations to this. It is important that where you worship is biblically accurate and all those things theologically correct in their biblical worldview. I understand that. But my point is this. For the most part, it is truly more about how and whom, not when and where. So let's talk about that. I want you to write how greater than where. Just in your notes. 
And in fact, as you're writing that, turn to your neighbor. If you're new to church world, your neighbor is the person closest to you, okay? Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, how is greater than where? Go ahead right now. How is greater than where? And so I'm going to ask you this question. Listen, how do you worship? How do you worship? No, seriously, how do you worship? Because how you worship is greater than where you worship. How you worship is greater than where you worship. And more to the point, how you worship is greater than where you worship or when you worship. The Samaritan woman was so focused on where she was working, worshiping or when she was worshiping that she had completely lost uh, a track of, of how she was worshiping or maybe even who she was worshiping. Let's break this down a little bit. We mainly view worship as what we just did a moment ago. And so now the worship portion of the service is over, and now we go into the teaching portion. And so we view worship as something that we do on a Sunday or maybe a Wednesday, a a predetermined amount of time where there is music and singing. To most people, that is worship, and it is for sure, but it is not the complete picture of worship, not even close, because as a follower of Jesus, listen now, listen, as a follower of Christ, everything we do should be viewed as worship. Everything we do should be viewed as worship. So it's not even a question of when and where. It's all the time. All the time. Everything we do should be viewed as worship. In fact, Colossians says it like this. Verse 23, whatever you do. Let me hear you just say whatever. Whatever you do. Work heartily. There's a good old school word for us. Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I want to encourage you today, church, you need to not just sing as worship, but you equally need to work as worship. That's a word for somebody out there. That's a word for a young man out there. You need to work as worship. You need to love as worship. You need to eat as worship. I got that covered. Amen. Amen. Amen? You're like, I'm doing something right. Okay. You need to, listen to me now, you need to parent as worship. You need to spouse as worship. Everything you do should be seen through the lens of worship. Now, you might say, dang, that's not easy. I agree with you. (laughs) I 100% agree with you. It is not easy. But it is what is required of us. And as a church, as a people of God, We do hard things, amen? We do hard things. Can I be honest with you, though? We live in the opposite way. Most of the time, we we live the opposite way. We don't live as in how is greater than where. We oftentimes live more like where is greater than how. We live in the opposite direction. All right, here's where we're going to start leaning into the tough part, okay? A little bit of a challenge. For those of you trying to keep track, I'm about 45% done with my sermon. Okay, there you go. I was having a conversation. You know, we are are a church plant, 10, 11 years old now. Thank you. And, um, and, and, uh, but I was having a conversation with one of our church planters the other day. We support church planting around Columbus, around the country, around the world. And he was saying, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Planting a church is one of the hardest things to do. And I was like, yep, I've lived there. He's like, yeah, but it's, I feel like it's harder now just trying to get up off the ground. I mean, there's, there's 10 of us starting this church. 
And he goes, and I feel this immense pressure and weight that if we don't show up with Hillsong, if we're not showing up with all the lights, if we're not inviting uh, you know, parents to drop their kids off at Chuck E. Cheese, and if we're not handing out iPads, I feel like it's not going to work. Now listen to me. Please listen to me, church. He is so right. And in our Christian culture today, we have highly valued entertainment over depth. We have overly saturated ourselves with the where and the when instead of the how and the who. Want to come to my church with me? Well, where, where is it? What, what are your chairs like? Where, what do I do when I, how many songs do you, what kind of instruments do you have? Well, what does your pastor look like? Well, who leads your worship? What do they do? How did we, well, what, do you have a jungle gym for my child? Now, how much money am I going to get? Do you give out gift cards? Church, church, listen to me. This has led us to a very critical place in our nation. In our nation. Not just the culture inside of our church, but the culture inside of our nation. Who are you worshiping with your life? Who are you worshiping with your life? Everything we do should be viewed as worship. And the reason I say this has brought us to a critical place is because we've lost track of the who. Now, none of us would honestly come out and say, like, I serve different gods apart from God the Father. As a follower of Christ, we're like, there's one God, that's who I serve. But our lives speak a different message. Hang with me now. Our lives speak a different message. You are the sum total of what you worship. And we will move heaven and earth to get to our children's games. We will move heaven and earth to make sure that we make the deadline for work. We will move heaven and earth to make sure that we can get home to watch our show if it's not on Netflix. We will do anything possible to move schedules, time, relationships, people. We will do everything, right? We will, we will. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we don't know how to worship. We don't know how to work as worship. We don't know how to love as worship. We don't know how to parent as worship. We don't know how to lead as worship. That's a problem. And it indicates that there might be somebody else competing for the throne of our heart. And I want you to know something. I say this with love, but God will not share his throne with anyone. Throughout all of scripture, God has never shared his throne. He will live on the throne of your heart alone with no one else. Can you imagine how ridiculous this looks from a distance? The gods in our life, the God of football, the God of work, the God of TV, the God of food, your life is the sum total of what you choose to worship. Jesus says something important. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Worship is about how over where. But worship is also about managing the tension. Now, what tension? I'll explain. I think for a lot of us, we have a sense of anxiety or angst oftentimes. And, and that's tension that we feel, tension. And we feel like it is our job to fix tension. But can I just remind you that there are some tensions that don't need to be solved. There are some tensions that just need to be managed. And one of the tensions that we need to manage is the tension between our heart 
and our head. Another way to say it, between our emotions and our intellect. Uh, This is why Jesus says we have to worship in spirit and in truth. Together, the words spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from the spirit within us and is based on truth. Based on truth. Worship must have, listen to me, listen to me, worship must have heart, but worship also must have intelligence. Equally. The way you work is worship, the way you sing is worship, the way you eat is worship. It must have a heart, but it also must have intelligence. Worship should engage your emotions, but worship should also engage your intellect. Why is this tension important? Now listen, are you listening to me? Yes? I'm going to tell you. One of the greatest divisions within churches today, denominations, cultures, whatever it might be, this is where we have failed. Right here, one of the areas, this is where we have failed, okay? What we have done is we've leaned into one or the other as churches. We either lean into emotion or we lean into intelligence, intellect. Maybe you could call it truth. We've leaned into, like, you know, like the free spirit, or we've leaned into the truthiness. And some of, man, some of you love truth. You're like, I am the truthiest truther of all. And some of you are like, I'm just a free spirit. I'm over here, and there's fog, and it's great. And you know what I mean? You know who you are. Come on, you believe in fairies. I'm just saying, literally, some of us, All of us lean one or the other. But here's what I want you to know. Truth without emotions produces legalism. And a church full of gossips. By the way, you know how church gossip goes, right? Uh, i got to talk to you. Um, We need to pray. And I'm going to tell you, did you hear about them? I can't believe that. We definitely, let's pray for them right now. Well, hold on before you pray. Let's get some other people to come in here and pray. Did you hear about, that's not praying, that's gossiping. And truth without emotions produces legalism. Now, all of you emotional people, you're like, yeah, I know. Why can't we just be free? Why do we even have to understand this? Emotion without truth produces chaos. So truth without emotions produces legalism. Emotion without truth produces chaos and builds churches filled with headless Christians that don't know what they believe or why they believe what they believe. And so what we have is a crisis enters into our world. And now we have churches filled with headless Christians not knowing what to think, not knowing how to lead, not knowing how to minister, not knowing how to care. But equally we have churches who are blowing up their Facebook feed, telling everybody what to believe. Here's what you should think. Here's what you should know. I'm going to have a conversation with them. And we're only coming across in a legalistic point of view. Do you understand that this is a tension we're not meant to solve? It's a tension we're meant to manage. We must worship in spirit and truth. We're called to be balanced individuals in a world that is unbalanced in a world that is dark we are called to be the balance and the hope in this world and Jesus Jesus has this conversation and what he says is so epic because Jesus lays this down and the woman changes the subject again it's like Jesus gives his opinion which is truth and the woman says well, I know that Messiah is coming he's who is called the Christ and when he comes he will tell us all things in other words the woman's like Thank you very much for your opinion, but I'm going to wait for uh, the Messiah. And look at the epic nature of what Jesus says. Look what he says in verse 26. Jesus leans in and says to her, hey, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has been foretold about. That is me. So worship 
is understood by managing tension between heart and, and, and head. It must have intelligence, but we also must be deeply in love with Jesus. By the way, can I just back up for a second? <laughs> what is it with Christians and emotions? Since when was it a bad thing to be emotionally moved about your love for Jesus? When has that become a problem? When? It's going to reveal itself right here in this moment, in this point. Because proper worship is about, write this down, proper motivation. Proper motivation. The woman looks at Jesus, uh, the greatest, she lobs him the greatest theological softball of all time, and Jesus smashes it out. She says, well, thanks, stranger, but, you know, I'm going to wait for the Messiah to come. And Jesus says, that's me. In other words, Jesus reveals the motivation behind worship. See, the proper motivation from worship doesn't come from religion. Listen now, listen. The proper motivation for worship, how you live, how you eat, how you work, how you sleep, who you marry, how you sing, how you show up, how you serve, how you give, worship. The proper motivation for worship does not come from religion, does not come from guilt, does not come from trying to spiritually get ahead. Listen to me, church. Worship is the proper response of a person who knows that they have been raised from the dead with no attributed merit of their own. Now, listen, listen, I'm going to be honest. If we can't get excited about that, if we are too scared to say amen about that, then we have not properly learned how to balance the heart and the head as it pertains to worship. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, you should know, I should know, we should know that had it not been for God sending Jesus down to us, there's no way we could know him. There's no forgiveness of sin. There is no peace. There is no hope. There is no justice. So my worship is an overflow of the understanding of what God has done for me. Because I could not get there. God came to me. And worship is my simple response in saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm going to give. Yes, I'm going to pray. Yes, I'm going to serve. Yes, I'm going to love. Yes, I'm going to limit this. Yes, I'm going to change this. Why? Because you did that for me. And had it not been for you, what is this even worth? I think sometimes you can be a Christian for a little too long. You know what I mean? You know, some of us. I mean, I, I literally, I was born in a church, like I think, literally, on a couch in a youth room or something. I'm literally. I don't remember a day when I wasn't in church. Dad's a pastor. I used to go during the summertime and just hang out at the church. Choir, you know, I'd hide people's robes. I mean, literally, it was just, I swam in a baptistry. I mean, I'm not joking you. I literally, and so I've been walking with Jesus for over 30 years of my life. Not walking, I've been I've been following Jesus. Well, I've been, a, I've been calling myself a Christian for over 30 years of my life, right? And I think sometimes we can be following Jesus so long that we think like, yeah, I, yeah, amen. I'm, I'm right. And we tune out to the things of God when sometimes some of the most simple things are the things the Holy Spirit wants to use to change our lives. Listen to me, Christian. How are you different than anyone in this world? How is the way that you work different than someone who, who doesn't know Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, your work 
should be better. Not because you're better, but because your motivation is different. Listen to me, students. When you wake up in the morning and you make your bed, and you should do that before you go to school, you should make that bed better than anybody else. You know why? Because you're making your bed for Jesus. When you show up to love your wife, you should love her better than any, well, better than anybody else, for sure. You should love her better than any other husband. Why? Because you're loving her with the motivation of what Jesus has done for you. And so it should be better. And I'm, I'm a, I, listen, you've got to understand, I am preaching this from the most hypocritical. I'm a hypocrite to the hill with this. I'm going to be straight honest with you. Well, I can't go to a church where the pastor's a hypocrite. Then you may just want to stay at home and read the Bible. I mean, the things that I want to do are the things that I do not do. And the things that I end up doing are the things that I don't. You know what I'm saying? But the fact of the matter is we need to work as worship. We need to live properly with the understanding of worship because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus did, and who I would be without him. We're going to close this morning. We're out of time. But I, I want to challenge us as a community to begin living differently. Because whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you're from, we can all grow in this area. Listen to me, families online, you can grow in this area. Your interactions, by the way, online should be different because you know Jesus. Your interactions in person should be different because you know Jesus. They should be acts of worship. Your giving should be different. Your serving should be different. Your words should be different. Your viewing should be different. Your listening should be different. Why? Because you're trying to earn it? No! Because that is worship. And it's an outpouring. It's an overpouring of what God has done in my life. Isn't God good? I mean, seriously, church. Isn't God good? Has he been good to you? Has he been favorable to you? Has he been loving to you? And listen, don't settle for the human standards. Well, I could use a little more money. Well, I wish I wasn't going bald. Well, I wish he'd bring me a man. I'm just saying. Did you wake up this morning with the love of God in your heart? Did you show up to a community that is free and loving? Did you show up to a place that is ready to experience Jesus? Is there still a hope for you to share the gospel? Isn't our God good? Amen. So can we just respond with the proper motivation and worship? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to meet this Jesus, to meet this God. Because maybe this is your first time to church. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. But this God, he's after you. You're in trouble. He's after you. He's got your number. He's been working on your heart. He's been working in your mind. He's been lining up circumstances, situations, and people around you to point you to Jesus Christ. And you have been trying to fill your heart with every single thing apart from him. But you are quickly coming to the understanding that regardless of how many, how many dollars you put in your heart, how many businesses you begin, how many relationships you start and stop and start again, it is not fulfilling you in the way that you thought it would. 
And you can get caught in that thirst trap or you can surrender to a God who says, I know why it's not fulfilling you, because I fulfill you. Eyes closed, heads bowed. If that's you this morning, I'm speaking to you. Listen. Listen, right now. He is all you need. Nothing else will satisfy. If you want to know this God, we we would love to talk with you. We've got a connect area over off to the side. Come meet us. Come talk with us. We'd like to resource you. No pressure. We want you to meet this Jesus and how we will change your life. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our people, in your people. Thank you for how you love us. May we worship you properly. May we be shaken to our core. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.